This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now. The WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's great to have you joining us for the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Corporate earnings season kicking into high gear. One of the heaviest reporting weeks of the quarter. Joining us to sift through the pile, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, let's begin with Boeing here, posting a loss. Kind of give us a nutshell here. Yeah, it, they missed in both earnings and revenues for the quarter, uh, basically because of delays in, in, in jet deliveries. Um, this is not a quarter that you want to be missing because uh, a lot of other people have been coming in with pretty good results, and you're seeing that today in terms of the action of Boeing. Now, the, the one thing Boeing does have in its favor is that, you know, if business delayed usually will eventually be business for Boeing versus, uh, you know, another industry where somebody may go elsewhere because Boeing really has kind of a monopoly or a near monopoly on things. But, uh, yeah, Wall Street not real pleased with, with the numbers Boeing reported today. And what about Coca-Cola? Uh, seems like that one was actually pretty good. It was good. Yeah, Coke beat on, on both the earnings and the revenue lines. They raised their guidance. Uh, they had pretty good uh, volume growth. Their global unit volume, case volume, was up 6%. And between the combination of concentrate, higher concentrate sales and price increases, they came in with real nice results. And, and uh, the market liked what it saw, and, and uh, thus Coke is, is up almost 2% so far today. And that's one that, uh, that that Wall Street had probably been concerned about. Yeah, they, they're needing to, pull, to sort of pivot in their drink offerings, and Coke seems to be doing that pretty well. They are. I think the investors in Wall Street have been concerned with those companies just to see also, too, what kind of pricing power that they have. And, and so far, so good in a sense of the ability to increase prices and, and still drive uh, nice volume growth. So, yeah, that was kind of a, a nice quarter. And, you know, Coke also has that 3 you know three percent dividend yield in there that's providing support to the stock as well. So that's Boeing and Coca-Cola. Let's talk about General Motors. Uh, how was that uh, earnings? It was mixed. You had the company beat on the profit line, but they missed on the revenue line. And that's kind of a continued reflection of just, you know, an inability for auto companies to, to get product to sell. I mean, they're selling everything that they're making, but uh, they're not getting enough of that because of, you know, various shortages, chip shortages, et cetera. Uh, and, and consequently, you're seeing GM sell off today. I think the other factor quite frankly, that's hurting GM is that, you know, if you're an investor and you want exposure to the auto sector, you know, Tesla has just been on fire here lately. And I think that's drawing a lot of that, those investors dollars that uh, are going into the auto space are going to Tesla and they're not going to GM today. And we're going to uh, touch on McDonald's and their drive through here in the next segment, but talk about their earnings report. 
they're really good. I mean, they, they beat on earnings, they beat on revenue, they, they just boosted their dividend 7%. The thing that caught my eye was you know, their global uh, comp sales, same-store sales, were up about 12%, which is a big move. And, and maybe even more significantly, they were up 10%, I believe, over 2019. So, you know, when you're looking at that type of, of growth, and again, I think they're getting, they have some pricing power in there. They're seeing good volume growth. Uh, that, that's a real nice quarter, and it's not surprising that the stock is reflecting that by being up uh, almost uh, 3% so far today. Thanks so much, Chuck Carlson. He is CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter. Do you remember Dogecoin? Rival meme token, Shiba Inu coin. Well, it just hit a record. It's poised to overtake it. Joining us with the latest on altcoins and cryptocurrencies, Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management, based in Glenview. His website, SenecalCapital.com. Uh, Bill, when it comes to some of these meme coins, it's sort of like get in early, make some money, and get out because they, they don't seem to be lasting very long. Well, exactly, uh, and the, the the meme stock, right? The, the 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 token that is a joke just is blowing the doors off in terms of its monthly or annual return. So, Shiba is up a thousand percent since it was introduced on the Coinbase platform on September sixteenth, up eight hundred and forty six percent already in the last month, versus say Bitcoin and Ethereum, which were up thirty six percent in a month, but have been down a little bit this week since the exchange traded fund was was introduced, and Shiba. And I'm dying. I'm, I'm dying when I tell you this, right? I'm, I even I can't believe it. Shiba has a market cap of about twenty six billion dollars, which puts it larger than Credit Suisse or Northern Trust or Zillow or WW Granger or the iShares National Muni Bond ETF. Uh, it's been a lot of news. Robinhood may add it to their platform, and it just seems to be obviously getting a little bit frothy here. But there are some positive things to Shiba in the in the value proposition they're bringing. And when you're doing this, you know, when, you, when you're getting in on this as an investor, do you have to just acknowledge at this point it's, it's speculation? Unless you're dealing with one of the big cryptos that have been around a while, and, and by a while we mean a couple of years, uh, you, you're, you're really speculating here. Maybe you make a lot of money and maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Well, I have two things. I have two answers to that. One is I was having lunch with my son yesterday, who's 21 years old, and I told him, if you want a six-figure net worth, you have the dollar cost average, the S&P 500, and the QQQ. If you want a seven-figure net worth, you should dollar-cost average Bitcoin and Ethereum. But if you want an eight-figure net worth or more, you have to dollar-cost some meme coins like Doge or Shiba. Now, let's look at it like this. When I've been buying lottery tickets for most of my life, right, I'm 62, and I've torn them all up and thrown them in the garbage. If I spend, say, $1,000 a year on Illinois lottery tickets, I get a one in 290 million chance of a single drawing to make money. But if I buy a meme token, if I buy a meme stock, Technically, blockchains don't really disappear. So even though it might go to zero and never trade again, the truth is I have a lifetime chance of a token going to zero, but then becoming something, right? It kind of comes out of the weeds. And so in terms of what's a better use of your speculative, completely tear up in the garbage money, you're better off buying little dumb tokens like Shiba than you are Illinois lottery tickets because you have a, a lifetime opportunity of making your money back. So you say uh, dollar cost average. So, you know, you take 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month, whatever it is that you're comfortable doing. And just every month you put a little bit into one of these meme stocks. Do you, stocks, do you split it up among different meme stocks? 
Well, that's a great question. But again, I think you need to have your core holding of your traditional investments, your core holding of Bitcoin and Ethereum and maybe a few other. But yeah, you know, $1,000 in Shiba Inu in the beginning of this year, you'd have over $600 million today. So, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, like the three richest guys from the trading floor. There's no guarantee. Most of these are going to go out worthless. But I tell you, if you're a young kid, a millennial who's on top of these meme tokens, you know, you're following Instagram and Telegram and, you know, Discord channels, you have a chance of making generational wealth with just $1,000. And I know it sounds crazy. Believe me, I, I know I know the proposition I'm saying here, uh, but it, there is something to be said for this. This is new cutting technology. Blockchain is here to stay. It's not going away. And it's going to re, uh, run parallel to our current system, which is, you know, clunky and not at all interesting to millennials. Really interesting stuff. Thank you, Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management, based in Glenview. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. McDonald's has entered into a strategic partnership with IBM to help automate its drive-thrus. Joining us with the details, R.J. Hadavi, head of research at the foot traffic and analytics firm Placer AI here in Chicago. R.J., always good to have you on the show. So what is McDonald's trying to do with IBM here regarding their drive-thrus? Yeah, I think the end game here is really to make the drive-through more efficient. Uh, one of the trends that I think we saw come out of COVID is that more and more customers are going to be using the drive-through, and I think McDonald's is looking for uh, the partnership with IBM to really make sure they've got the efficiency to make it work across their entire, not only the U.S. but likely the the international uh, locations over time. Uh, this was, you know, uh, really the, the the genesis of this was the company acquired a company called Apprente, which is uh, voice ordering uh, a few years ago, and renamed it McD Labs, and really spent the last couple of years refining it. Uh, we had a test here in the Chicago market uh, the last couple of months, um, and I think this is their effort to bring it to a, a nationwide audience. Um, I think this is going to be an important endeavor because I think the, you know for a lot of quick service restaurant chains, uh, drive-through is going to be really the, uh, the key way that people get their product uh, going forward. And I'm trying to think of what the user experience would be like here. I mean, you, you, you drive up and there's no one really talking to you, or, or what would this look like? I think the, what, the way to think about it is that you'll have a, a, you know, an automated AI program that will speak to you when you're taking your order. Um, you know, I think what you're going to see is a higher order accuracy. It's going to take time to refine to get the voice ordering technology right, uh, especially across the country. Uh, you know, There's different ways people uh, in different regions order different products, and I think that's going to be a, a challenge to overcome. But I, I think that this group, is particularly you know, uh, adding IBM's uh, muscle behind it, I think that they are, are really in a good position to uh, streamline this quicker than any other players in the quick service restaurant uh, space, and I think this could be a key differentiator. Um, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I don't know if there's going to be a ton of things that you notice differently. Obviously, talking to a uh, to a robot, uh, to an AI program is going to get takes some getting used to. But at the same time, if it makes uh, makes the order go quicker, I think people will uh, adjust pretty quickly on that. Well, speak to the accuracy issue because I don't. I mean, anyone who speaks into their smartphone knows it, it, it's not always as accurate as you would like it to be. <laughs> I mean, you'll text someone and there's an expletive in there, and you go, "Whoa." Whoa, 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 that's not what I said at all. Yeah, and you throw in the challenge of having kids in the back seat screaming orders, uh, you know, to, to, you know, that's something that the AI is going to have to contend with. Uh, but the fact is, McDonald's has had a couple years head start on this, and they, they recognize that the problems uh, you, that 
you know, what drive-through ordering is unique. And it's, you know, very similar to, you know, like you said, uh, voice to, to text ordering. And I think that's been one of the key things that a lot of these, uh, these companies have had to, to overcome. I think, uh, and again, they haven't provided a ton of details, but I think at least for the near term, you'll certainly have some options to, to bring on a, an actual human if you're having issues with it as well, too. So I think McDonald's and likely others that are behind it are going to be very thoughtful about the process and, and probably not just flip on the switch completely to AI overnight. I think it's going to be a Process. Thanks so much. That's R.J. Hadavi, head of research at Placer AI. And Shah Galani is here, chief investment strategist at MoneyMorning.com and TotalWealthResearch.com. Shah, it's always good to have you on the show. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, thanks for having me, Cisco. I see uh, markets reflecting positive earnings from companies, especially the tech companies that came out with earnings yesterday. I think uh, Microsoft, Google hit it out of the park. I think investors love to see that because obviously the big tech names have been the leadership group since really 2009, and they continue to hit it out of the park as far as their earnings and profitability. So investors are relying on the continuation of that, and I think there's no reason not to because that's the way to go. So when it comes to what you've been seeing so far in earnings, are, are you seeing about what's expected? I mean, there have been some good earnings reports, but is this about what we expended, expected as we rebound? It's what I expected, and I think most analysts have expected this. Uh, really, in about the middle of the quarter, analysts were knocking down expectations for earnings in terms of what we were going to see this reporting period. And then towards the end, just before reporting started, they started to pick them back up again and add back in. And now we're seeing that that was the right thing to do because earnings have been better than the beats have been very good, not at record levels as they were last quarter, but we certainly haven't seen peak earnings. And that was the worry that the past quarter was perhaps peak earnings for companies and we we're going to see a drift downward. That's not what we're seeing. So, so that's a positive. The markets are reflecting that. As you see the rebound here, um, I mean, I, I'm sort of amazed at how broad based this was. Um, you know, even Coca-Cola, which some people have been worried about, did pretty well. Uh, is that what you're seeing here? Kind of broad based, decent earnings and also forward guidance? Yes, certainly seeing that. We're not, I'm not seeing as much positive forward guidance as I would like to have seen, but uh, that is understood given the supply chain issues. And we're not seeing as much conversation in terms of uh, what we're hearing in uh, reports from CEOs and CFOs in earnings calls um, as I was expecting. So they're not knocking the supply chain issues as hard as I thought they would be. They are a little more positive on that, uh, and that being the fact that they're not mentioning it as much as they did last quarter. That being said, they're mentioning inflation and likely uh, rising input costs more than I expected. So nonetheless, the, the, the outlooks are pretty reasonable for the future, but they're not as robust as I was hoping they were. Again, not unexpected. Investors understand that. And the general theme is things are still good, still strong, and still positive. You touched on the supply chain issues. Talk about the challenges for investors to know what to do because it impacts different areas differently and we don't know how long this is going to go on. Yeah, that, that's a great point because uh, investors have no idea because CEOs, CFOs, and production line uh 
folks don't have any idea. So right now, the expectation is that this supply chain issue, and it's broad, uh, will probably last well into the second half of 2022. That's a lot longer than certainly the Fed expected it when they talk about transitory inflation. So a lot of the things that were considered to be transitory now seem to be leaning into the structural side of the economy. In other words, baked in for longer. And uh, that's a problem because we are coming into the all-important holiday spending season. And if there aren't goods available on shelves, then there can't be sales made. Uh, So that is uh, causing some analysts to adjust for the the end of the fourth quarter as to what we will finally see in terms of sales. But uh, that is probably investors' number one issue is supply chain. Number two would be inflation. And what's your overall advice to investors, given the fact that it, it does seem like there's some opportunities out there, and yet there there is also this uh, this uncertainty. There's always uncertainty, but there seems to be quite a bit of it now. Well, I, my advice is, is, as it has been for quite some time, is stay the course. Until we see any existential threat to this rally, and I don't see one out there, uh, stay the course, especially stay in big tech. And I think buying the dip has been working. It's worked since 2009. There's no reason that uh, that won't work in the future. I think if we do see any kind of threats, and maybe there's some threat out of China in terms of the property development sector there actually crumbling a bit more than it's been, it's been holding up, but if that comes apart, we will see contagion in U.S. markets will get hit. I think any 5, 10, 15 percent hit, if we get that, is a buying opportunity because U.S. corporate earnings are strong and the economy is moving forward. There's no reason not to maintain long positions in stocks. Good insight, as always, from Shah Galani. Thanks for being with us. Chief Investment Strategist at MoneyMorning.com and TotalWealthResearch.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. If you want to give teens a big leg up in life, teach them about money and how to grow it, joining us with some key advice on how to get older kids interested in investing, Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group, found online at engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, what's, I mean, if you had to say this is the most important piece of advice for teens, what would you say it is? 
Well, if you're in your teens, your 20s, or even in your 70s, having an investment plan is really important, Cisco. I mean, today it's really exciting. There's a lot of you know news and speculation about cryptocurrencies and stocks and lots of you know news about people making lots of money, which sounds great. But having a plan and understanding why you're investing and when to buy and, more importantly, when to sell is really important. And creating that structure with young folks can, can have huge benefits in the long run so let's say you're speaking to parents here on what they need to do um what what should you do i mean do you get them somehow investing in stocks do you do these these kind of mock-ups on what money is like and how to invest well i mean how, how do you handle this well, hopefully the parents have a plan themselves, right? That's just not, hey, why are you investing to make money? But again, what is the purpose behind investing and what kind of goals are we looking at achieving? And hopefully those parents who have those kind of plans can, can share that with their kids. Because again, it really doesn't matter what they're investing in. It's more of a matter of their approach and understanding again, why you're buying a particular asset or speculative uh, investment is important. But then again, understanding when to get out and when to sell and those kind of and guidelines are important. So let's talk about uh, a certain platform or something. I mean, are you just doing this on paper? Do you end up trying to find an app, a website, or are you actually getting them a legitimate account and, and just sort of working through it with a little bit of money? Yeah, I, I think starting with fake money, right? So buying and selling and, and writing this down on, on paper is important, right? Keeping track of that before you really start risking some money is great. But also giving key, you know, giving some, some, some keys to the, to the castle, if you would, having your kids have a little bit of money in accounts, starting them out where the parent is sort of over, you know, kind of looking over the shoulder of the child just to make sure of their decision making. Because again, it's great way to start investing early because again, that can pave the way for some long-term um, uh, long-term uh, funding for the child, but also making sure, again, that, that they've got some guardrails set up is really important because you just don't want to have your child go off willy-nilly. Creating that structure, again, can create some really long-lasting investment uh, discipline. And trying to build patience, right? Teaching them, if you're talking about stocks, buy and hold, not just every day flipping things around. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Again, we're, we're faced with a lot of FOMO today, you know, fear of missing out, especially in the investment sense, because we hear of so many stories of people making money. And, you know, it's not that easy directly. And so in actuality, having having a child start off making money to begin with is actually more detrimental because it's not that easy. But again, creating this log, this, this um, the buys and sells and writing them down of why and what is really important. And again, you know, investing in stocks, you know, for the long run is good. But again, a little speculation isn't bad, but you have to have a plan around that and don't bet the nest egg, right? Take a small percentage of your assets, small percentage of account and allow that then to be used on the speculative side. Good advice. Thanks so much, Ed Jertson, certified financial planner with Engage Wealth Group. That is Personal Finance Wednesday, this time tomorrow, Technology Thursday. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Many employment experts say the office will be forever changed, even after workers are vaccinated and feel more comfortable to return. For most organizations, workplaces are shrinking. Landlords are paying attention. Joining us with the details, Danny Ecker, reporter for Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Danny, uh, what are we seeing here with office spaces as the people who own those office spaces realize companies, well, they may not need as much square footage anymore. Yeah, well, you know, I think that you have 
buildings that have smaller office floor plates that were really looked at as uh, handicaps in the past because we saw so many companies looking for giant open floor plans where they could uh, put a lot of employees in kind of you know very dense environments. You know that's that was the preference, and now you're seeing this sort of shift to companies saying, "Look, it's not so much about." the density and how many people we can fit in. It's about making it a space where people will collaborate, where people want to come. And it's, I think we're, we're heading into what appears to be this era where smaller office floors aren't necessarily as uh, bad as they were in the eyes of a lot of different tenants. So we're starting to see some landlords bet that they'll be okay. And so does this end up meaning offices, as the landlords are kind of reshaping things, offices uh, will look different when they're trying to attract new tenants or landlords maybe going to be a little more willing to subdivide in order to attract those tenants? I think it's just more that buildings that have, you know, of smaller footprints, you know, may actually be able to compete for more tenants than, than they did before. Uh, what was interesting recently was we saw Sterling Bay, actually uh, redesign an office that the city has already approved that they want to build in Fulton Market that had 40,000 square foot floors. And they said, you know what, we want to we redesign this and make them about 25,000 square foot each. That's something you really never would have seen before uh, because there were so many, um, you know, the, the bigger the better was kind of the approach. And you, you, so it was interesting to see that and uh, to see some of the other examples around town of uh, leases that have been signed by companies that maybe could go to one giant floor, but instead chose to be a bigger fish in a, maybe a smaller building with smaller floors. Um, so that, I think that's the kind of thing that we may just see a little bit of a rebalancing on that coming uh, coming out of this because companies are not just reevaluating the, the space they need, but uh, you know how they really plan to use that space and, and what different types of size floors work for them. And what does this do to commercial rents if you have more buildings in play for more potential tenants? Well, it just makes it uh, certainly more competitive. I think that, you know, rents, we haven't really seen rents come down a lot across the board uh, downtown. What we have seen is, you know, incentives like uh, cash to build out offices and free rent um, rent abatements and, and flexibility in leasing terms go up. I think we're going to just see more of that for for several years uh, here as we see a lot of companies reevaluate their space and um, there's there's going to be more opportunities for companies to to either cut back or or grow or whatever they want to do with their space and that's going to be impacting the market for for some time. Thanks so much, Danny Ecker. You read him in print and online at Cranes Chicago Business. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.